Hello, 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 and welcome to Canadian Made, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the Canadian entertainment industry so that you can learn the stories of the unsung heroes who make Canadian content. Today on the podcast, I am so excited to be joined by Samantha McAdam. This is her second episode. And in our first episode with her, we talked a lot about her journey writing and how she got started in the industry. So if you haven't listened to that, definitely go back. Uh, But in this episode, we talk much more about her work uh, directing. I love talking to Samantha because she is such a hustler and she is so inspiring. So I have no doubt that you are gonna leave this episode feeling very, very inspired. And also she gives the best tips. She always really gets into the nitty gritty. And so if you are an aspiring director, she breaks down you know, everything you need to know about the guilds. She talks on a practical perspective about the differences between directing for television versus MOWs, movies of the week. And so, you know, if you're dealing with nerves before your first day of shooting, she talks about how to handle it. If you are dealing with a time crunch on set or minimal resources, minimal budgets, she gives you amazing tips for how to handle that. So Samantha, she's just a powerhouse and I cannot wait for you to hear more from her. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Sam. I feel like since we last spoke, you have just been so busy and it has just been like strength to strength for you. So I can't, I can't remember, like, thank you, first of all, but I can't remember when we last spoke like what was going on. <laughs> I'm trying to even think what the date was. Yeah, and I hope, February? End of January, February. Whatever. Oh my God, it was that long ago, eh? Oh my goodness, it doesn't feel that long at all. Oh, 100%. But since we last spoke, you've really, I think, moved into the directing space in a meaningful way. And I was sort of re-listening to part one, and we didn't really spend very much time at all talking about you as a director. It was much more about pitching and much more about your journey, kind of transitioning from editing to writing in the industry. So I'm really excited to kind of like hone in you as a director i want to first talk about how you got involved with shelves and and what that experience has been like yeah so shelves well anthony q farrell i was basically virtually stalking him for a long time no no i never like was i wasn't contacting him but he was someone i was always watching and watching his work um and i've heard and also too like i've just heard such great things about him and and all, a lot of the initiatives and organizations that I was involved in, you know, he was always a guest speaker or so I, I, I knew of him like everybody, I think, in Toronto, Canada does um, very well. And, um, you know, it's funny, like how I got involved. I feel like super lucky that I was contacted for it. And it's really it's really kind of silly to say, but I really was just focusing on myself and my work and like just working on my own stuff um, and developing my brand of comedy. You know, and they say like, the right job finds you or that kind of thing. But it, it did in this situation. I think I, the one only email I sent to him was when I was doing the commercials with Simu Lee because I poached 
two of his like writers to be in the commercial. <laughs> so as a joke, they were going to call him at lunch and I hadn't ever spoke to him. I don't think directly. And I just said some a line like, sorry, I screwed up from the verbs for there. <laughs> and then that's how he kind of talked. But I was like, and if you ever need a director, like that's what I just said as a joke. But, uh, but then, yeah, then a couple months later, um, my agent just told me that, that they contacted Chris Schultz. So I think like, you know, even like with, with filmmaking and directing right now too, you know, it's, it's tricky when you're trying to develop your tone and especially with comedy, the world of comedy is so different right now. And like, dare I say, I feel it's a little broken. It's very, it's in a weird place because people are really scared of offending people. Right. And I mean, God, when I watch back the comedies that like 10 years ago, they don't age well at all. So it's a kind of a weird, we're kind of in a weird space and, you know, and, and things to be funny. Sometimes they are a, Sense of rules. It's kind of like we're anyway. So with with um, you know, I, I'm now I'm getting off track. What I'm saying, but like with honing. So I was really just like kind of just working on my own comedy and my own um, I just developing my own voice. And with with Anthony when they contacted me, it worked out like perfectly that we're just in line with the same comedic voice. Um, which is not offensive or false, but it's just kind of like um, you know, why why I was really excited to get on to shelved was the comedic uh voices funny without being offensive and i think I, I feel super fortunate because yeah like i said i feel right now comedy's in a really weird space so sorry i'm getting off track to your question how, how did i get contacted i kind of just doing my own thing and then just lightly talk to him via social media because i stole his writers and then yeah he contacted um, my agent and then one thing i'm learning in, in terms of directing the interviewing process is very different. Um, that's like, we can get back to talking about the craft, but that's one thing I'm just studying because now I'm up for jobs with American companies who don't know me. And the Canadian world is so small that I found the interviews I've had in Canada were more or less a conversation. And I, and I initially always went into it guns blazing, like what I'm going to say and how I'm going to, uh, you know, um, execute your vision and that sort of thing. But um, they just turned into conversations. So when I had a couple of ones that were with people who didn't know me, one went really amazing um, and shout out to them because they're awesome. It's, it's Lily Singh's company, uh, Unicorn and uh, Blink. Um, uh, the, the, those two companies have merged and they were fantastic and that was great. And sometimes you just drive and it's amazing. But, um, but I'm learning as a director, sometimes, you know, you have to, when they don't know you, especially when it's like a movie of the week, uh, or film, now that I'm trying to I'm starting to get interviews for films that aren't mine, uh, yeah, you really have to style yourself and how you're going to execute their vision, which is, sounds like a no-brainer. But my experience thus far has been more like conversations and talking about my personal directing style, but not the vision. Is that, does that make sense? Like, Yeah. So you raise an interesting point about getting kind of the the job interview, the job offer, and then what what's the practical steps of what happens next? And I like that you mentioned the differences between, you know, Canadian and American, but you get the interview and what are you doing to prepare in the interim? What are you bringing to, to the job the interview? interview? Yeah. Oh, to the job interview. Yeah. So like, I mean, I just recently, I was super lucky. I spoke with a career coach and she's from, from the Warner Brothers program uh, initiative that I'm in. And I actually just spoke to her about this in terms of, in terms of getting um, American shows. So it's coming on as a director for hire on American shows because I'm new to that. And I was like, it's a different shift. 
of things, of conversation. So basically now, like, because now I just told like, this is, it's really timely because I was just like, I'm going to change my game up. So we'll see in a couple months if it works. <laughs> but, um, but what I was doing and uh, the ones that were successful, you know, I, it's the material, material, material. Like I read, but the problem is, so you read the material. Sometimes like I was shooting something when scripts come in or sometimes you have overnight and it's not a lot of time. So that's, that's difficult for me because I like to read it, take a walk, think about it, you know, but uh, sometimes you don't have the time for it. So yeah, then the one thing is I just try to read it at least two or three times if, if possible. It's hard when it's a feature. Um, and the next thing I think about is like, I kind of just sound silly, but I kind of, yeah, I take a walk around I'm in the shower or something. I just kind of, you know, think on it for a little bit and just think of like, and naturally, you know, when you turn your brain off, you kind of naturally get images and ideas just kind of come to you of what you're seeing and casting ideas and tones. The tone is kind of more fleshed out because everything you read, of course, has a tone onto it. But it's like, how are you going to execute execute that tone, how it changes? So basically, now for interviews, because uh, sh- it's very different if you are pitching your own project as a director or if you're pitching as commercials, it's very different, or movie of the weeks or shows. So specifically for shows, um, yeah, read the material over and then you talk about how I would execute their their tone and their story and what it is I love about the story. Also, just thinking about like, what is it to me? My personal thing is like, why am I watching this? What's relatable for me? And that's what really, I think, always brings people in, whether it's a comedy or a thriller or whatever it is. It's like, what is relatable about this story? What is it going to make? What What is it? Why do people care? What is it going to make them feel? So I kind of speak to that, what I like about it. And also to um, one thing is, is a really good learning tip for everybody out there that I had to learn the hard way is I found when I, cause I, I used to be an editor, a writer. Uh, I still edit, but, but writer, producer, I've done like every job with marketing. I did like everything. So I ask a lot of questions because I'm trying to learn about the story. But sometimes when you ask questions, the person's like, oh yeah, I know it's not really working. Like, no, 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 no. And like, I should, I, I should have said, no, I'm only asking because I want to make sure that I'm, I'm understanding your story so I can execute it properly. But, but when you're like, oh, it doesn't work. It doesn't, you know, yeah, we well, got to work it out. I'm like, yeah, because this, that, and I'm like, oh God, because it sounds like you're kind of insulting it. So I was like, maybe don't say that. The life coach was the, the career coach that I spoke to, the Warner Brothers. Like, yeah, don't say that because I'm like, you know, it comes across like you're insulting and you forget to, you're talking to these people that I feel are so great. So I just don't even think it'll be in the realm that they'll be thinking like something that, you know, is negative or could be touching on insecurities, but we're all creative. We're all insecure on some level at some point. Um, So I was like, oh, it's a good lesson learned. Um, But me, you know, I'm just coming from a place like I want to know, I always ask questions to make sure I fully understand because when you're reading a script, um, you know, I was watching a couple different things like the paper girl on Amazon and um, other film and, and it's a treatment, you know, it's how the director executes it it can go any which way when you're reading the script it can go so many different ways so it's really important you understand its own but so asking questions is good but you want to come with what how you would execute the tone um so they know what are they getting from you and then it, in terms of the difference between the american and canadian hmm. i'm assuming you're getting a little bit more grilled on the american side and with the canadian it's potentially they're more familiar with you or what would you yes. say the difference exactly yeah, exactly. They know me and they, they looked at my stuff where they kind of know of me from different things, right? Which always blows my mind. I've only really had like two where they didn't know me and uh, that's tricky, you know? 
um, because they don't know your background and you have only so many minutes to talk. And I honestly feel, uh, I, the one thing I'm trying to get over is I do feel uncomfortable, like talking about what I've done and my accolades or whatever. So I kind of now just try to put it on the project, like speak to the project. So it takes the bragginess off me because I feel uncomfortable, like saying, and this, this, I got the, you know, so I kind of just do it that way. But so basically with the Americans now, what I'm learning is to just kind of talk a little bit about, yeah, you have to kind of slip it in what you've done. And, and like, so if, I, if I'm talking about, and I, you know, I would do this type of comedy, which I think this type of uh, demographic is like, very similar to when I did my film Prom Night and Kevin Hart's production company, like I'll slip it in that way. That's <laughs> because, smart. Yeah, well, I feel less uncomfortable and it's a factual thing that happened. And that way they're like, oh, she's contacted, she's worked with Heartbeat Productions or how she talked to Heartbeat Productions. So, but yeah, I find it's a little bit, um, a little bit more selling yourself, but I, I will say this too, the, the, another experience I had that the really great experiences that I've had, um, I feel like, and it's just, I love Canada, Canadians, everyone to death, except, and it's not, it's not always the truth, but I feel like sometimes in Canada, the people, the gatekeepers are more scared for some reason. Like, like I feel like, and maybe because it's, we have less money, maybe that's what it is. That's what someone said to me that that very well could be true. Uh, or I don't know, or maybe, yeah, so maybe our stakes are higher or maybe we're more conscientious. I don't know what it is, but I find when you do click with um, American producers, it's like it goes faster for some reason, you know, and bigger. And I don't know, it's like it, it we feel on the surface like they're more um, willing to take those leaps for some reason. And I don't know if that's a thing or not a thing. And the other thing I'm planning to do, which is... Um, is to go down in person to meet to meet people to have more face to faces. It was God. It was a. It was a, oh, inventing Anna. That's show on Netflix, and I was like, I watched it and I was like, my to my husband, I'm like, this depresses me because it reminds me of filmmaking in terms of directing. And he's like, what? <laughs> She's about. It's about this person, this uh, influencer who kind of fakes being an heiress and gets gets around very far um getting millions and got very far with like pulling off these mega schemes and it's all because of presenting herself and connections but one person said you know um you don't know how the rich work and it's about knowing people and introductions and then I was like oh shit that's kind of like filmmaking feature film directing when you want to go AA list because but it makes sense because in order to get that interview with that producer, you must have got their email via somebody who trusted in you, right? So it, it, like in a weird parallel, I was like, oh, I got to get down there, like to the LA more and meet people because, but on the flip side, I wouldn't want to give, you know, necessarily embark on uh, a multi-million dollar venture with a director I have never heard of nor met, you know, after one Zoom. So it makes sense, right? And other advice I got from, um, other great showrunners in Canada was to get your booty down there and meet people um, so that when you have those interviews or you come and you have a meeting and you don't know in a year, that person might be offering you a directing job, you know? And I think it says a lot, you go down there and you actually meet with them face to face. So, so that's a whole other thing that I'm looking into for film. Um, yeah. And that, that that's what I'm, I'm noticing. It's definitely more of a, of a broke. They don't know who you are. Right. But in the same respect, once you click, it moves faster. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, you know what? It actually makes a lot of sense. And I think that it's something, it's something I've noticed a lot of people have been saying recently about the industry that mm. because we have, you know, guaranteed money in a way here, it should open up, you know, mm -hmm. big 
producers to be more adventurous, but in yeah. some ways that doesn't seem to be happening, though I think it's happening a little bit more now than it was five yeah. years ago. I agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah. What ha- yeah. What's happening to Canada. <laughs> yeah. And the other complaint that I heard through the years, which I don't, I don't really have an opinion on, but something that I heard is that, you know, the same people are the ones getting the large millions to make the same film, right? And and I don't know if why that is, if it's if it's the same ones or the only ones who really knew about those channels. Cause I gotta tell you, I didn't know about half these channels to money until recently. And that's why like the Caribbean Tales was a big one with Francis Ann Solomon, who runs that. Um, I, I did that and, and I learned so much about that. Women in the director's chair, I learned so much about that. There's these avenues, but when you're when you are writing and directing, your brain is in the creative world. You're not learning about channel supply for grants and all this stuff, but it's important so that you can make your first break yourself. You know, like you have to make your first your first big break, whether it's a short or a feature. Um, you got to do it yourself because even when you have a great agent, you know, no one's going to hustle like you will. You know, yeah. get it done. Yeah. And you're such a good hustler. That's what I, my favorite thing about talking to you is that I always feel inspired to just like go for it. <laughs> Although awesome. the, the career coach I spoke to, she told me the same thing and she's worked with like Meryl Street and all these like amazing, like huge, she does listen to Ron Howard's company. Um, and that's what she told me. But she also told me, and I don't take it as an insult, but she's like, you don't read as Canadian. And I was like, okay. <laughs> she, meant, like, she meant because, uh, the, the bold things that I, I do with my work or like who I contact and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I said, you know what? It's just been, I think it's been years when I was on that leave and then the pandemic listening to podcasts, listening to these other people and they happen to be American, what they did. And I just feel like for me, I could pinpoint it to motherhood. As soon as I had my kids, I just stopped caring what the creative world thinks about me in terms of putting a script out, you know, like, oh, they don't like it. I don't care. Or my kid's Okay. Like, it also just, it just seems a lot smaller. While filmmaking, obviously, is hugely important to me, I just don't have that same fear. I guess because I have a really strong support system at home, I know they still love me, even if this person says my script is shit, you know, or, or they're going to bash your movie. And that's the thing, too, with social media. You have to start preparing yourself for insults. Like, they're going to come, right? Um, so if you have a strong home base, I just don't care anymore. And I think that's what made me bolder with what I do. And also, you know, my dad is, I think, I, I think I may have mentioned him before, but he was, you know, abandoned on the streets in Guyana and he, his first house he had to make out of cow manure when he was like seven, my daughter's age, you know, which always blows my mind. And then now he's in Florida and he has like a really comfortable living as a real estate agent. He's got multiple agencies and multiple homes. And for me, it's like that hustler gene, I think came down into me. And also I'm totally writing a feature script on that <laughs> story. It's yeah. insane. It's insane. But uh but um no, so I think the hustler thing is like something I witnessed. And I think, you know, coming from parents that were had to struggle and you know, it, when I'm home in Canada, I feel so thankful because even though shit is hard, like to do things creatively, I don't find it hard in terms of what other people are dealt in life. And if I'm talking to my dad or my mom, uh, you know, who had to leave everything and guy and I come up here with no money and uh, the way they struggled to get on their feet, nothing sounds that hard. So like people think, yeah, like, I, like I'm hustling hard. But for me, it's like I'm in my house. I'm drinking a tea and I'm chilling out doing emails. Like for me, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the the perspective because of what I've, my family's come from. Um, yeah, it just feels like 
like it's hard work, but yes, I'm getting up early and being committed and, but it doesn't feel as hard as making my a house out of cow manure at age seven. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, I can't even say anything to my parents. They've been through way worse. So it kind of just makes, it kind of just pushes you to go harder. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking about, um, you know, actually being on shelved mm-hmm. and working as, you know, one director of many on a TV show, how do you first approach like coming into uh, a set, you know, where everybody is acquainted with each other, except for you, then you're at the helm and you have to kind of coordinate everybody. And what are your kind of tips for, for doing that successfully? So coming into the show as a director, basically coming on Um, specifically. Yeah. So for this TV show, thankfully, there was like a lot of prep. Like, so a lot of like, we had table reads before and I knew of everybody, but like, you know, it was intimidating as AF because it's like, you know, the producers from Schitt's Creek and, and Anthony Farrell from The Office and uh, Joy Small, who's an amazing director I looked up to for years, uh, Alicia Young, Corey Bowles, and then also Kashmir, who's who I just met and has done a million uh, music videos, amazing music videos. And I was like, oh my goodness, what am I walking into? But the first thing, um, you know, there's a lot of Zooms and stuff, but it's nothing like being in person. You know, the Zooms are good. You get to talk, but they're also kind of a little bit awkward because it's like eight heads. And I tend to, I'm really chatty in person, but I tend to get pretty quiet on Zooms because there's a lot of different people speaking and a lot of the, and I'm listening, you know, I, I'm listening to what they have to say and I'm, I am waiting for my turn to talk. So you, you do get familiar with people before you're on set. You have a lot of conversations beforehand. Um, Shelved was interesting because it was never um, out there. Like, you know, there's not a season one. So in terms of, I had a lot of questions again, like because we're developing, and it's not to do with the writing, the writing was amazing. It's not to do with anything like that. But there's always going to be questions naturally. And unless the thing is on air, you don't know tonally how are they handling their drama. You can talk about it, but until you're there on set directing, you still got to tweak it because it hasn't been done yet. And, you know, the cinematography, like that was very much like a mockumentary documentary style. I've never done that with swingles and all this stuff, you know? And I was asking a lot of questions again, like, how's that going to work? But you you do end up feeling your way out. So for me, it's like a ton. I do as much prep as I can before I'm on set. Um, And what I always do for anything that I do and in which Shelter has a luxury because they brought me on well ahead of time and usually you don't have that much time but you have t- I have time that I personally make a lookbook not all directors do it but I you know the art department um the um makeup and hair they all everyone is so thankful for it so it's basically a pitch deck sort of structure and I just have wardrobe and I have like I speak to what the wardrobe is and I, I mock it up and I have makeup as a speak up to mock up. So I do a ton of crap. And then when you come on, you know, of course, it's a little nerve wracking, but like Alicia Young is um, amazing. And Anthony and Jay, uh, all the whole team, um, everybody there ha- had been so welcoming. And it's like it sounds like a really like paid answer I'm giving, but it's not. They are actually like you could not go into a more friendly environment at one point we were running, it were, time was going fast. And I was like, oh gosh, here it goes. Here it comes. Like, here's a smackdown of like, you know, a little tension. It never came. Uh, it was funny because it actually was reversed. It was like, you're doing a really great job. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. But so it's just like, I find the higher, and same thing with actors, like the higher quality and higher experienced actors you work with, they are kinder and and more easygoing. So it's a really like lovely 
um, you know, light at the end of the tunnel when you're starting out to, to know that. But it's it's actually it's very true. Anything that's a higher level, higher people, uh, like in terms of success, um, you know, I find they are more open to talk because they know, like they know they've been around the block, they know not to take offense, and they know we're just talking about creative and we're not insulting you if we're pitching a different joke or if we're pushing or pushing for a different jokes, not insult to their sensibilities, right? But but yeah, that's yeah. So basically, you just talk to all avenues, and then you kind of you know one thing I do too is important meditation and hyping yourself up. It sounds silly, but I I took a, an advanced workshop with um always sunny in Philadelphia, one of the recurring directors, and he said the same thing that everybody gets nervous on uh, on the um high levels. You get a little bit of jitters, and you just um yeah just take mind remember to breathe and remember that we all want the same thing. And the thing is. The truth is when you're on set or when you're pumped up, there are, there's always haters. There, there are people that are, there's, there's whispers and not, not on shelf, but you know, I've heard this uh, on other things. We were, you know, we could sense they're thinking they should be directing and not you. It comes with the territory, you know, because a lot of people do want to direct and have been trying for years. And it's very frustrating if they see somebody who they consider new or they, that, you know, my vibe, I'm very collaborative. I'm very chill um on on set and and i think some people if the problem with that you have to be careful because it comes it could come across as aloof or that you don't know what you're doing or you're even even now there's two waves of directing back in the day when i was a pa no one no one talked to the director and no one challenged the director that's like how it was it was like i call it the ice age like that was like the dinosaur age of how how it was and it was not it was not great as a pa i'd be scared to like look at a director in the eye but now it's much more, I feel, and what I saw and how I am, it's a lot more collaborative where people can suggest things and that sort of thing. I feel that makes the best product. But that being said, you do have to be careful to not get walked over or be pulled in different directions, um, which I um, I feel I'm pretty good at because I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm very open to criticism and, and ideas, but... I just know at the end of the day, I have to be the captain of the ship and execute the vision. But that being said, um, like on Shell, there was a couple things that people suggested. Well, why don't we try this or this? And we do it and it looks and it works better, you know? So I think you have to just be, you have to, you know, mindful of your creative voice. But also I, I feel I, it's better to be open. And also what I love about um, Shells and shows that do this, they have the writers on set, which I think, Jennifer Morrison, she's a director of Euphoria. She also was uh, an actor or an actor. She's an actor. She told me that um, I was lucky to be in a, a workshop with her that um, one, her character all of a sudden was like shooting powers, you know, and they didn't understand why that was. But the writers weren't there. And she's like, okay, well, we're doing this or whatever. Like, you have to go with it. So she said, like, the value of having your writers on set. And I, and I agree a million times over. You want the writer there. They are the they are the keeper of the story as well. And sometimes you have to change things, or the delivery is coming across too harsh, or they hear it with the, the director, the actors, and it's just not working. And for me to have to rewrite it on the spot, which essentially you do with the actors, you know, it, yeah, of course you can. I'm writing background. Some directors don't, but having the writer there makes the most sense because you can just lean on them and ask them, "What do you mean by this?" But some directors do not like that. So it comes down to your personal. Thing. um i i like it because i feel like more heads or whatever it is better heads better whatever you know I'm trying to say i need more coffee today but you know what i'm trying to say <laughs> but um i think a lot of people naturally in this world are more open 
And I think it spills into the film world and I think it spills into directing, but I think it's the best thing to do. And if people are really concerned about their creative voice, it's going to come out because I'm watching shelved and there are so many things that I, that I pitched and I'm seeing it's there, you know, um, like it comes out because sometimes it feels like you're getting a million questions. And if you're being open and changing things, it may feel like you're losing your voice, but you're not, it's all over, you know? That that's interesting. So in terms of, directing for a tv show versus a tv movie mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you can kind of get into your that you what you feel like the differences are and maybe a little bit about your experience on um fashionably in love totally time number one like like the time there's no that this like it depends on the tier because i did just interview for one that had a very long prep schedule like a feature film schedule so it depends on the the tier of the show meaning budget meaning time and, and money um so the the one that i did was a very fast turnaround um so that's the biggest thing it's like a sprint and um so that's that's the main thing with prep you don't have a lot of time for prep um but that that's why like the lookbook is 100 percent very important to get it out to all departments because you are not going to have time to talk with them and in my experience of fashion love it was honestly amazing again it sounds like a paid answer but the actors i worked with um celeste and andrew uh michelle who were the, the two leads um they were incredible so was allison brooks so was everybody all the actors because again i no matter how busy i was i made a point to talk with all the leads because in this type of show it's so fast moving i knew there was things i'm gonna miss there was no way there's enough time for me to catch it all so um i spoke with them and especially our two leads we would be doing like i call it the degrassi method i remember hearing years ago that degrassi the tv show the old g original joy jeremiah show would have a round table where the cast would read over the script and they would change things and they would put it in their language and they would catch mistakes and that's what we did. We had every time we went on set, we talked about it and they caught so many things and they 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 just made the script come to life um, in their voice and in a more um, can, like just a more compelling way. Right. And they were catching things that I didn't notice because there was just no time to digest it, you know. And even on the best of shows, stuff happens and you don't have time. And that's why I always believe in empowering the actors because they're living and breathing uh, you know, committed to their parts, right? And and on this movie of the week, they were very committed. So I leaned a lot on the actors, 100%. Um, my DOP as well. And my in the AD, who comes in line, but the DOP um, one uh, was amazing because, you know, on those tiers, because they are so busy, we plan out how we're going to shoot it. You know, we have meetings the night before or the morning of, which is the same thing on shelves. You go, but then the whole entrance is blocked. Or in one case, because you don't have time to go look at all the locations, the whole patio is gone. Okay, that's where we were shooting the whole scene. So you have to like work it out on the spot, right? And um, with both of them, but more so with the movie of the week, what I studied that really helped me is condensing your shots. So basically you have this amazing shot list, but this happens, this, this goes across the board, but especially on lower budget stuff, whether it's movie of the week or whatever, it is a web series, anything, condensing your shots. So you have you have multiple shots. Remember, wide shot this, that. It's not about the framing. It's about setups. So if you have, um, you know, you have like six shots, uh, six different shots you want to do with six different setups. And this, and you have no time. What we had to do in the movie of the week, again, it was my AV and my cameraman who I totally leaned on, who helped and the actors murdered it. It was like four o'clock in the morning. No time. 
had this big, big monster scene. We had to condense the shots, which meant the setups, which meant having uh, two cameras rolling at once. And we had them, the big fight people coming in, coming out. We had it, the blocking down to a fine art and everyone murdered it. It looked great. Can't even tell. But basically what we had to do was instead of having the six different setups, we had to have one with two cameras. And so we had to kind of have the actors move in place so that they're all in the same line. So the camera's facing this way. They all have to enter the, the camera view, have their fight, turn around, walk back out. So the other camera catches them. So it, it felt a little bit stiff doing it, but the, their performances were so good and um, that, that, that it felt natural. And the same thing with Shell that happened. That's a big budget thing because we were shooting outside. Not, not time-wise. We had time, but we were missing a, a wall because it was a fake set, uh, an exterior set. And so we couldn't shoot a certain direction. And I had, I think, nine actors and, and I had to make it feel natural. They were coming and going. Um, and anyways, same thing, but it worked out beautifully. Like, and I, you know, a lot of that credit is the camera, the cameraman, the cinematography, and also the actors, because they are able to move. It's for me, I'm seeing it like, like Tetris. Like I know which way I need them to go, but they do it so naturally. So the, the biggest thing um, is that you, you don't have a lot of time. That's the difference between the two shows. And how you problem solve is very similar, uh, that it's, you look at condensing your shots. That's number one. And then sometimes condensing your take if you're that short on time. And yeah, and I find movie of the week, you definitely need to lean on your actors more and talk with them more and also have a really good um, plan with your DOP to definitely talk before. But you kind of do that with any show you're on. But so really for me, the, the big difference was the actors, and I'll be completely honest, was I was held up in a hotel while doing it because I needed like absolute focus. So when I go home, I'd be thinking about the next day because it, it's just you don't have any time on MLW, right? So you have to really eat, eat, sleep, everything in the movie um, curve. But I'll say this too, there's a major difference in terms of how you make your day as a director. When you're on a lower budget, like going over time, for example, like, you know, you never want to go over time. You want to make your day. But for example, on the movie of the week, okay, we, we're not going to get this scene. So then literally then the overnight, we have to rewrite a scene and change it. So they're not outside anymore. They're now going to be in this person's office. because That's the only location we have left. Yeah, that's true. So you have to rewrite it and shoot it the next day. And that's how it goes. And you can't, you know, that day you're losing that actor. They cannot come back because they don't have the money to come back. And this is for all low budget, not just movie week. That's how it works low budget. You know, you have the actor for one day, you've got to get it that day, they cannot come back. So what do you do? First thing I do, condense your shots, condense your takes sometimes, but then also sometimes we, we had, like a CBC show, we had to rewrite scenes on the spot. How do you do that if you're not a writer? Why? I thank God I, I have writing background, but what you do is think of essentially what, it, what are we getting out of the story beats? What do we need to do? How do we condense it? Um, and then that's what you do. You get what you need. What is the point of that beat? What what moves the story along? Why were we doing it in the first place? Then you whittle it down to that, and you find a way. Does she have to be outside to do that joke or that confrontation? No, she could be here. So that's how you whittle it down in, in the movie of the week, and and then or or the lower budget stuff. That's how you whittle it down. You think what it, what's going to save the story here, and how do we do it with what we have? And then you work together as a team when you figure it out. But on shelved, I have to say it was a running joke. So I was like, Ray, oh my god!" But uh, but but on shelved, the learning curve for me was making your day or changing things with having uh, time and money. 
And it sounds like that shouldn't, it's not a problem. It's, it's not a problem, but you, it's a different way of thinking because I remember a couple of times we were like, oh, we're not going to do this. We're going to shoot this. I'm like, okay, but the, but the actors, I'm like, what if, and it didn't work out. The actress was still there, but I was like, okay, is there a world where we don't see that person be introduced? They only mention her. Like, so I was rewriting the scenes and they're like, no, no, we're just going to have her back tomorrow. We'll redo it. <laughs> I was like, oh, and we, we didn't need to. I was just like problem solving. Like, what if uh, we don't have them? I'm like, oh, so we have wardrobe and hair. like, yeah, wardrobe and hair and makeup. Everybody's so we'll just redo it all. I was like, oh, okay. Because like, so what I was used to, to redo the, the same look, the same, like, you know, but we actually never ended up having to do that uh, because we, we, we made our, uh, we, we made it. It was fine. But I always just plan for the worst, right? Uh, hopefully that's not for the worst. And then also too, um, oh yeah, going overtime. That's a big thing. Like depending on if you're commercial or a web series, going overtime. And I remember my AD probably thought I was like the crazy person on shelf, but I was like, what happens if we go over time? And he's like, um, what do you mean? Like, you, you just go till you get it. I'm like, okay, but what happens? He's like, we just shoot and then we make a note of it. I'm like, okay. And like, and it's not like they're burning money. You don't ever want to go over time. But what I was saying, it, what I meant was on certain productions, you are not allowed to go one minute over. You literally, I, I was on a show and they were like counting down and they're like, nope. And it went like 1201 and it's done because it, it, it was a minute. So like that was my experience. So that's why, you know, again, questions, questions, questions. You can properly plan and know, you have to know the protocols for every show you go on. Every show you go on is different, mm-hmm. you know? So you need to know how they work and then you can figure out how you can problem solve and you can figure out how you can make your day as a director. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's such good pragmatic advice, especially for those people who are just starting out who don't have so much experience and probably don't yet have any money to, <laughs> to do yeah. it's like, okay, what do we need to think about? Yeah, and another um, experience I can share about uh, making your day, and this is really something I only would ever do if it's my personal project, like something I'm a producer on, um, never would do this on somebody else's production. But um, one experience I could share is while we were making my short film, uh, really proof of concept for my feature film, my first thriller horror, um, I knew we were going to run out of time because it was a really ambitious script. We were pretty positive that we were going to drop a scene. Um, but, you know, it was uh, $10,000, which sounds like a lot, but really it's not, especially um, because me and my producer decided to run the set like a union set, like, you know, have ACTRA members and also just we just followed all the union rules, although we did not have have to um but that's how we like to run our set to make sure everything's properly done and and it was during covid so we made sure that we had nurses and proper um testing on site and you know proper food all that jazz but doing all those things meant we'd have one shoot day not two um which i was totally down for because i I just feel more comfortable that way but um i knew that we were gonna lose time and not be able to get certain Things. So for me, I prioritize what's the most important things to get, which is, of course, with the actors. Um, so anything like cutaways, you know, I went to um, stock footage that not not all. I only ended up using two. But do I like using stock footage? Never a clock. No way. But, it, you know, when you're really screwed, it's something you can think of to help piece together your story. And also in post, you could always like, you know, trim your story and rewrite it um, in a different way if you have to. But uh, yeah, stock footage, you know, I figure like TV shows and films use it quite often for their generic stuff or their, you know, drone shots, those kind of thing. 
do I like doing it? No. But if you get into trouble or, you know, you have to sacrifice something and you don't want to sacrifice dialogue or other crucial scenes, that's something that I, that I recently did and it's working out pretty well. Mm, that's yeah. Great advice. The last thing I want to ask you about, because it's a question that I've gotten a lot um, from listeners is about the unions and when to join the union, how to um, the right moment. Yeah, I love that you asked this question because for years I was trying to get in those unions. I was like, I mean, I mean, you know what? You don't have to be in it until you're in it. Like it, it's a really, it's like almost like FOMO. You're like, oh, what am I missing here? Like what's going on? But the truth is like with the Directors Guild and, and um, I know people that r- like run it and they will say this themselves. It doesn't help you get work. You know, it is like, ooh, check mark that you're in it. But I'll tell you, I've known several people, a friend of mine, I just recommended him for a job and he, they didn't realize he wasn't in the union and neither did I didn't think about it. And then they put him in the union. Boop. You know, they once you once you get hired, you're in. Um, is there benefits? Of course, once you're in, there's different things. But I find it's kind of a weird catch-22 because once you're in, yes, there's all there's amazing workshops, but you kind of, it's not as necessary as it is when you're starting out. You, then you could have had access. Like my biggest thing with being in the writer's guild, I'm not in it yet. But I was trying to get it because I would hear about all these meetings where you meet the showrunners. And this is like years ago when I was not sure if I wanted to direct or write. And I'm like, but, and I remember talking to them, like, well, this is like close to, I was trying to get, get in the guild. And they were like, well, why don't you just wait when you get a job to put you in the guild? I'm like, I know, but in order to get a job, um, I had need to be in the guild so I can meet the showrunners. And then she's like, I understand can't help you. <laughs> but but it is, it is a thing. But honestly, the honest to God truth is don't, don't worry about joining them because when you get up there, they will just let you in. Like, uh, you know, you need proper paperwork and that kind of stuff. But once you are hired, um, you, you join the guild, you know, and it is great once you're in it. It has, uh, you know, there's a mate, like for me, the protection involved is the number one thing, you know, it, that, that it covers your butt and you don't have to argue and, and fight for things. And you, in most experiences, I don't have to anyways, but it's comfort, you know, mm-hmm. but no, don't, don't seek it out. And it's a lot of money, especially when you're starting out. It's, it's a lot of money when you don't have any money to pay those fees, you know? So just wait. And I, I totally get it because I was running and joining all of them, but honestly, it's not going to serve you. Yeah. I think that that's really good advice because you also only get to be non-union for a certain period of time and there are advantages in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I just sent my friend a job uh, posting and she got it as well. Another friend and it was looking for non-union. It was non-union actors, but to your point, when you're starting out, it's a complication if you're part of the guild because you have to get permission to do those jobs. Right. So Actually, like, yeah, like th- that's a whole thing too. So, a hundred percent doubling down with don't join it. Although, you know, you want to be, you want to join it. Like, those are the big dogs. That's where. But here's a trick: the Directors Guild. There's a hot list that comes out. So, if you want to see what's going on and you want to get names of who's doing what, you could look at that without joining the guild. I did that for years. I look at the hot list, see who's producing, who's directing, what productions are happening. And their, their information's on there, not not like all emails, but like, you know, their names and stuff like that. So like you could look at that without joining the guild. So really just wait. And I wouldn't I wouldn't push you away. And I tried for years <laughs> and I did. I did get in. I got in as an assistant editor. So I could tell you I got in when I didn't really need to be. And I was just paying fees without, <laughs> without major benefits because 
because it took me a couple of years to get the break as a director. And then I got the break as a director and I had to ask for permission because it wasn't union. <laughs> I got permission, but it, so it didn't really serve. And the heads of the guild will tell you that, like that, you know, it doesn't help get you a job, but they protect you once you do. So that's the, be- the best, you know, way of looking at it, right? Mm-hmm. I think that that's great insight. So my very last question, can you recommend a piece of Canadian content that you are loving right now? Yellow jacket, shelved. That sounds like a bullshit thing, but honestly, shelved is great. It's it's great. It really is good. The, the performances are awesome. I mean, you haven't seen it yet, but it's coming. So check out shelved. Uh, I directed, so yes, I'm biased, but honestly, you'll see I'm not lying. Uh, when it's does like, it come out? Because I think... I think, in- I think it's in January... I think oh, okay, it's just for a while. Yeah, for a while. But honestly, it's, it's gonna it's gonna murder. It's great, I think. Um, and Yellow Jackets, and then what else? I had a whole other slew of um, Canadian stuff. The Lake. Um, so I'm looking at all of them because I'm scoping them all out to try to get on their shows as director. Um, there's been like a ton of stuff that's been filmed in Canada too, like what we do in Shadows as well as another one. Um, Chucky, I'm totally waiting for the next season of Chucky. Um, yeah, so like, and, and what else? I'm trying to think. Children and Everything, um, what we do in Shadows. No, those are the big ones. Yeah. <laughs> those are the top of your list. Yeah, top of my mind, anyways. I did, I just watched, oh my God, it was so good. It was made in Canada, but I don't think it was American. So sad. Um, and it's, it's, it's awesome to see too as a director what the hell is being made in our backyard. And that's why I'm pushing to get into those, work with those American producers and bring the work home because it's amazing stuff. It's called Under the Banner of Heaven. Yes. It stars Andrew Garfield. Yeah. Holy, it was so good. That was still in Canada. I didn't know Canada. that. I didn't know it was either. So Canada is producing amazing stuff. And thank you so, so much. This was such a treat for me. And well, um, I'll just talk with you and I'm, I'm listening to the show. It's great. Thank you so much for listening. And if you love the show, the best thing that you can do to support our little podcast is to leave a five-star rating and a review telling us what you like most about the show. See you next week.